0: Tail Talk, a podcast dedicated to everything related to the sport we all love, hydroplane racing. I'm your host, David Newton, and it's time once again. So sit back, relax, and welcome to Rushtail Talk. It is September sixth, twenty twenty two, and this is episode ninety seven. Today's episode is part two of my interview with Bill Osborne. Bill is a professional photographer who has taken some amazing, iconic shots of hydroplanes for the past five decades. In today's episode, we'll talk about some of the race sites that he's gone to to get some of his iconic shots, his favorite race sites, and let's just say hated race sites. But also, later in the episode, we go on and talk about some great personalities that he's gotten to know over the years as he shares some personal stories associated with them. But let's continue our conversation with Bill as he talks about one of his favorite race sites to take photos.
1: Initially, again, because I, I went to Owensboro in 1970, and I, I was on the verge of having a nervous breakdown. I went to a year of law school, and it didn't go well. And the guy that I was working for, contractor, said, you're of no value to me for the company right now because you're, you're a wreck. He said, so I'm going to give you Howard Johnson's credit card and just take summer off. What do you want to do? I said, well, I want to go to every race on the circuit. I got to Owensboro and I wasn't going to go to that event. And McCormick, Jim McCormick lived there. And he said, well, Jim kind of, he kind of pulled a fast one on me, but it was, it was, he meant well. He took me to to the Rotary Club or Chamber of Commerce meeting, whatever it was, and they presented me the key to the city. I went, why wow. would you do this? Because I wasn't planning to be in your race. And Jim said, well, now you have to go. And I said, okay, well, <laughs> it turned out that the Owensboro Bridge was, it was just a really cool spot to, to take pictures. And I, I took a lot of overhead shots from there in, in the, for the next eight years. And then in the later years, the rooster tail turn and the DYC, but the rooster tail turn is, is like, it's like an iconic spot because the boats mm-hmm. comes through there at high speed and, um, you know, it just, it, it's just really a cool spot. Yeah. So we, we, we did that and, uh, and for everybody's done that for years and what's the worst place to, to photograph and is without question, is Seattle. I mean, Seattle so yeah. far away. It's just, it's so difficult.
0: Oh. yeah is there really a great spot in seattle to take a shot from or is it just better spots to take
1: pictures no. from <laughs> no, no <it's laughs> or just, neither <laughs> yeah yeah it's just it's just tough yeah you really struggling with long lenses and
0: um, yeah
1: yeah and i won't get into the some of the politics of the seafarer race but yeah i can you, you imagine know, it can be challenging oh yeah
0: well were you the first one to take pictures over overhead on the on the owensboro bridge or was that just kind of no
1: there was, there that, was actually, that
0: became your thing
1: there there was actually a guy the year the first year that i was there i went up there but i didn't photograph from the bridge in 70 and he worked for the i think it was called the owensboro messenger inquirer and i saw one he took like one or two pictures and went this is pretty cool yeah and you had to have i mean it was like Super, super hard to get up there to get the permission. And there was a guy; he worked for the Kentucky State Police. His name was Captain Nordsworthy, and we called him by the, by the time he I left, we called him Admiral Nordsworthy. <laughs> but yeah, he controlled that bridge, and you're, if you if he doesn't want you going up there, you're not going up there. So I talked to him, and with McCormick and Tony Steiner and those guys. They said, yeah, this, this is our guy, let him, let him up there. And so that got me, to... and for years, I was the only one up there. Then later years, they started letting other people up there. But for the first few years, I was the only photographer up there.
0: Man, well, I know, you know, I'm an RC scale hydroplane enthusiast and built a lot of models, and my dad did as well. So I know the modelers really appreciate getting those shots and, and those beautiful detailed shots. And it's just amazing to see those, those shots that you've come up with. Out of the years you've, you've done photography and been around the sport of hydrogen racing, you've met a lot of notable people. Uh, and I'm, I have a list of names here that I know you've made connections with over the years. And I wanted you to tell me a little bit about each person and what they mean to you. Okay. So the first person is Bernie Little.
1: I met, I met Bernie in 1966 at Tri-Cities. It was the inaugural Atomic Cup. I didn't have a long enough lens to take really good action shots. So the only shots that I could get of the boats running were, were leaving the pit area or like on a victory lap. If they came close to the shoreline, I had a 300 millimeter lens, I could get something. Bernie won, they won the race, Bill Burrell won the race and they had a trophy presentation. I went there and I had a normal lens, 50 millimeter lens, but I had a Honeywell 770 electronic flash to fill in some of the, the shadows and I took the pictures, and I didn't think too much of it, and so afterwards, Bernie came up to me, and he said, well, would you, would you be willing to sell one of those pictures, I said, well, yeah, and eight, I said, an eight by ten would cost five dollars, and he said, well, okay, I want two of them, bring them to me in Seattle, and I said, well, I'm not sure I can get in, because I have to sneak in, in through the holes in the fence, and oh, no, 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 he said, just go to the gate, page me and, and, and I'll make sure you're in. So I went there on that Friday morning with pictures in hand and paged him. He came to the gate and said, I can't believe you showed up. He said, I can't tell you the number of times I've ordered pictures from people. They don't show up. He said, here's, here's, here's two passes for the weekend. He looked at the pictures and he said, come to over to, to the bus. I'll write you a check and he wrote me a check for $10, which I wish I'd never cashed. Yeah. But, uh, that's how we started that relationship. And he said, as long as you keep taking pictures, and he said, I'll, I'll buy. He said, uh, well, that would work. And one of the things, I, a couple of things I learned about Bernie, Bert, they said, well, Bernie was a really intense person and, and wanted to win. Bernie was really motivated by not losing. And there's a difference. You want to win, but you really don't want to lose. And Bernie was embarrassed the first time they, they ran the Budweiser with the Budweiser and it, the crankshaft was in backwards and the boat didn't run and people ridiculed him. Ah, this guy's a so blowhard, he's not. And that, that really irritated Bernie. He just said, you know what, I, I, I will not be embarrassed again. And so he was heavily motivated to not to lose. And so for the next 10 to 15 years, I would take pictures, sell them. And then the defining moment happened with our relationship in 1982. Dean was killed and Dean and I had become good friends. And I'm walking out of the pit area after the race. And I'd heard the announcement had been made that Miss Budweiser will not race in Seattle next week. I had not talked to Bernie. I'm walking out of the pit area and I saw Bernie and I said to him, I went over and I just looked at him and, Man, it was like we didn't even speak for a minute. We just kind of looked at each other like, oh my gosh. And he gave me a hug and he said, This this is really tough. I said, Yeah, I said, You know how much I like Dean. He said, I know. I said, So where do you go from here? And he said, Well, I just talked to Augie and we're running the boat next week in Seattle. I said, and I I I was upset. I didn't, I wanted the boat not to run in Seattle to honor Dean. Yeah. But that wasn't the decision. So I said, so who's going to drive it? And he said, I don't know. He said, got any ideas? And I said, you know, I do, I do know a person who could, who could handle this. And I think he'd be perfect for it. And he said, who is it? And I said, it's Ron Armstrong. And Bernie looked at me and said, who's that? And I said, well, <laughs> he's, a, he's a good guy. He's a good driver. He's squeaky clean as far as, as reputation and representing Budweiser. He'd be perfect for you. And then so Bernie said, Well, would you call him for me? And I said, I don't think that's appropriate for me to call. But but I will do it. And he said, please do this. I called, called Ron like at nine o'clock at night when I got nine, 10 o'clock whenever I got home. And he said, And why are you calling? I said, Well, Bernie wanted me to call. He said, Well, have Bernie call me. I said, Is that can I take that as a positive? And he said, have Bernie call me. So I, I called Bernie. Now it's like Bernie had flown home. It's like two o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning, Florida time. By the time I called him and he said, okay. And so the deal went together. Ron drove for that one event, but the upshot of the whole thing is that Bernie realized that I wasn't just a guy selling him pictures that I actually did care about him. And we became friends. Yeah. And it changed, it changed the relationship like overnight. It was like overnight uh, change of relationship. So what would happen is that from then on, every time Bernie would arrive in town, he'd see me in the pit and he'd honk the bus horn <laughs> and, and summon me to the bus. And now for the next hour or two, I'm in the bus talking to Bernie, a little bit about boat racing, a little bit about business, mainly about family and just things in life. And we had these long, enjoyable talks. And you know, I, I knew that he liked me and I, and I liked him. And there's, there's a funny thing that happened that the last picture that was ever taken with my camera, we were in Seattle and Bernie, I'd taken pictures of Bernie with, with Joe and the grandkids and Dave. And he said, you know, he said, we keep doing these yearbooks. We, you put all these pictures and you've never been in the yearbook. I said, Nope. And he said, well, we need to get you in there. So I set my, 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 my flash up, set the camera up, handed the camera to a friend of mine and said, just click a few shots and take these. And that was the last picture with my camera that was ever taken. And Bernie was the one with me, which is, is in the book. Yeah. And I, I thought yeah. that was pretty cool, but you know, Bernie's obviously the impact on the sport is he raised the bar for performance, um, the professionalism level of professionalism that you know, they did was just it was unparalleled, and he he single-handedly, in my opinion, changed the sport because not just because of the technological advances that happened under his watch, but just because of the level of pro- professionalism that they did. And so, and, and, I, you know, like I say, I, I, I think back on those moments in you know, the boat racing was cool, but what I really liked was I liked the fact that we could sit down and just talk. That meant a lot.
0: That's special. How about Bill Muncy?
1: Bill Muncy, as, as I told you earlier, he put me in the, in the cockpit of Miss Turfway in 1955. So I was hooked in 1957, my favorite boat was destroyed on the Ohio river and I I made a hand-drawn picture of Mr. Thway and a get-well card, and I sent it to Bill. I thought, well, we'll see what happens. So I didn't hear from him. At the end of the year, I got a Christmas card. It was a Bob Hale Christmas card and a little thank-you note on there. Thank you for, for caring about me, and, and I thought this was really cool. And so, and then in '58, when he hit the Coast Guard cut, I sent him another one, and, and he thanked me for that. So for years that I was on the Christmas card level list with him, Bill, Bill was the most intense human being I've ever met in my life. And I use that word in a, in a positive way is that Bill's level of intensity was just off the charts. Mm-hmm. And one of his one of his best lines that he used, he said, my three favorite things in life are music, sex and boat racing, not necessarily in that order. And to show you that the the type of person Bill was in 1973, we were working. And I'm back up a second. Remember, this is my childhood hero. By 1973, I'm working on projects with Bill to promote the sport and to promote Atlas Valley. So it'd be like if you if you grew up as a basketball fan of Michael Jordan, and then later you got to work with Jordan. How cool would that be? Right. You know, as a kid. So here I am. This is my Michael Jordan. And I'm working with my childhood hero. So I called Bill up about this project. And he said, well, what is, you know, what's new with you? And I said, well, I, I got to tell you, I, I got to do something kind of cool today. We had crew day for the people that were on the shaky special. that was owned by Pete LaRock and driven by Tom Martin. And everybody that helped on the team got to go for a ride. And then we also got to take over the controls for, for a lap. And I thought, well, that's the end of that. And Bill said, he just stopped. So like, I got to ask you a question. The next 10 to 15 minutes, he peppered me with questions. Okay, what did you, what did you feel here? What did you do this? How did the boat respond? What, what surprised you? He wow. And he, I remember one of the questions he said, was there anything that, that shocked you? And I said, yes. I said, the first time that Tom turned, I watched the water hitting the afterplane. And, and I said, I couldn't take my eyes. I was like, I was hypnotized watching the water in the side of the boat and I went this is really cool and I was supposed to take over the controls and Thomas started nudging me like you yeah, know put your hands on the wheel but I'm, I'm watching this so he asked all his questions and, it, and at the very end he said he said so now do you have some idea of why I love this so much and I said yeah I do I do and I thought for him to take that time um was cool Bill was Bill was like I said, he was intense, he loved the sport, we had a deal in Seattle one year, they were doing a thing with the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and I came around the corner, and they had, they had the area kind of roped off, so people couldn't go back there, and I just stepped over the rope, went back, and here's Bill with these kids, and I, I, took, I took one picture, and Bill just waved it off, like, no, don't take any more pictures, I said, okay, so I watched him interact with each kid. The kids are, but one kid was on a, on a bed and he was paralyzed and could only move, you know, like his head and that was it, and his eyes. Couldn't really talk. And Bill just was just so kind and nice to the kid. I thought, gosh, he's taking time with each kid individually, one at a time. Wow, I thought, That was really cool. So all these people leave and a woman came up to him, and now not just Bill and I are standing there, and she said, are you Bill Mumsey? And he said, yes, I am. She said, I hate you. <laughs> and so Bill looked at her, looked at me like, okay. And she turned to walk away, and he looked at me again, and I "Like, I have no idea who this is. So he said, ma'am, he said, hold on. He said, can you tell me What it is I've done wrong? Did I run over your dog driving out of the parking lot? Did I say something you know offensive to you in a a moment when I was upset about both? She said no. She said what is it? He said well you win too much. (laughs) And Bill, Bill, he had that little kind of barrel chest. He puffed up and went oh okay. So she walked off. So we go back to the to the truck and. He starts telling the story of the crew, and they're they're not buying it. And he said, "Well, I've got a witness." He looked at me and he said, "Here's my witness." I said, "I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> and I was like, "He said you were there." And he just he finally said, "Come on, come on!" And I finally, okay, I'll fess up. You know, I I did hear it. Another another funny one was that with Bill is we were at the 1975 Gold Cup. 20 year anniversary of the 55 gold cup we're at tri-cities and we're waiting for the referee They're, they decided to hold the driver's meeting down on the dock so we're waiting and waiting and waiting for the referee and bill and lee are, are talking and lee said you know this is the 20th anniversary of me winning the gold cup and i looked at at lee and i said what are you talking about i said you didn't you, how could you win the gold cup you you finished second three heats Bill one was third, and had two firsts, so obviously Bill won the race, and Bill started to correct me, and I looked at him, and he went, oh, I got it, so Bill, Bill and I just hammered on Lee for about three minutes, until Lee, when he would get upset, he would turn like beet red, and it was like, you're waiting for a blood vessel to explode, and he finally, he finally said, uh, uh there was an expletive. You was a second <laughs> word. And, and, he said, I, and he said, I hate both of you right now. And, and, and Bill and I just laughed. But that Bill was the ultimate promoter of the sport. And, and I, I just wish everybody who's around today could have met him and have seen the type of person that he was. Um, we had... Um, I, I was fortunate enough to take some portraits of him, and two of them were, were among the top three pictures that he'd ever had taken of him, and they were mine, and that meant a lot. One of the more interesting conversations we had is we were waiting for the Atlas to show up, and, and I, I, again, I like Jim Lucero a lot, but we, we knew that it was a test day. If the boat was supposed to be there at 10 o'clock, it'd be there at 11. It was just, they were always waiting. <laughs> So Bill walked over and I was sitting in a van with a friend of mine, it was, it was the other guy's van, and Bill knocked on the door and said, hey, can a hydroplane driver get out of the, the rain here? And so he came into the van and the other guy talked to Bill about boat racing for about three minutes and he had, he had an errand, he had to go run. So Bill and I are sitting in the van. And I said, you know, I said, Bill, I said, I think we share something. He said, what's that? I said, well, I think we share dysfunctional fathers. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, well, you know, my father was physically abusive, mentally and emotionally abusive. I said, I understand your father never struck you, but, and I kept throwing out little vignettes to, to Bill. All of a sudden it was like the color went out of his face and he poked me in the chest hard. He said, my father did that to me. And it was like, okay, I've struck a nerve here. So for the next 15 to 20 minutes it was like a tennis rally i would give him one he'd give me one i'd give him one he'd give me one and then we're done we have nothing else to say we're just sitting there looking at each other and i said you know bill i said our fathers must have loved us he said yeah but they didn't like us and i i thought wait a minute that's you you just summed up my life as a kid growing up with an abusive father and I said to Bill, I said, I, I want to use that in a story sometime. He said, wait till after I'm gone, which which I did. Well, some years later, I wrote a story for Extreme Boats magazine on Bill. And I put that in there. And his son, Bill's son, Kenton, called me. And Kenton was pretty upset. He said, I'm, I've got this magazine in front of me. He said, I got to tell you. He said, you know, I like your work in the past. He said, but I don't like this story. I said, why? He said, because what you wrote about, about, about the father being dysfunctional, and I said, "Well, I, I'm I got I'm standing by that story." And he said, "It's not true." And I said, "Well, I'm I'm sorry, but it is. How do you know it's true? Who told you?" And I said, "Your father told me." Long silence. Mm-hmm. He said, "Wow, Dad must have liked you because he didn't tell anybody that." And so, what was again, what was cool for me is that. in in the last couple of years of his life that Bill and I became, we had this bond and it was like, it was like an unspoken bond. We'd shared something and I didn't print it. I didn't tell anybody about it until many years after Bill was gone. And I thought, again, it was a, a blessing to become a friend of his and realize that he didn't just like the work, but he actually, I think he actually liked me. And that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that's a strong bond. That's that's amazing. How about Phil Cole?
1: Phil Cole was was uh, that that's a funny story. In 1970, I, I, was, I was again, I'd gone through the year of law school. I'm on the verge of a nervous breakdown. And i had, I, I told John the guy I worked for, I said, you know, I need to take this trip. And we he said, he's well take my Howard Johnson card and go on the road. And so I spent I, I applied for a credential and the credential was the phoniest thing you could ever have done. I said, I'm I'm representing the city of Eugene, Oregon, because we're they're considering putting on an unlimited race, which was totally, totally fabricated. It was, it was as untrue as it could possibly be. What we didn't realize is a year later, they had a race there, <laughs> but, but it, at 1970, there was no chance of them ever having a race. So I'm set up to go on the road and I'm taking pictures and Phil sees me and he goes in Tampa and at Washington. Finally came up to me in Detroit. He said, you keep showing up at these races and you're taking all these pictures. What are you doing with them? I said, well, right now, nothing. I said, I'm going, he said, well, do you ever sell them to Bernie? I said, well, I've talked to Bernie. Bernie wants to wait till we get to the West. I'm going to bring down an album of pictures and he's going to order a whole bunch of pictures. And he said, well, would you like to do the Budweiser yearbook? We pictures in there because you're getting a lot of images and I said sure so I had committed in my mind although the guy that I worked for didn't expect me I, I wanted to pay John back for the bills on the road well the the pictures I sold to Bernie and the Budweiser yearbook more than paid for that trip and without 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 Phil's influence and help I, I, I wouldn't have continued. I I couldn't have afforded it. it. It just it would have it would have ended right there. It, one year and it would have been one and done. So uh, we did a lot of projects together. Um, I it was fun. It was fun to watch his son Sam grow up. I knew Sam when he was just a kid, and to, to and Sam and I become friends. And one of the one of the best things that ever happened in the very end with Phil. Phil was in bad health. I talked to Sam. And I said, you know, would your father like to talk to me? And he said, actually, he would. So I called Phil up and he's you know, on his way out. He's not going to live much longer. And I said, Phil, I'm just calling for one reason. I'm calling to say thank you. And he said, boy, that means a lot. I said, you know, he said, carry on, carry on what you're doing. And he said, I'm following your, your what you're doing. And he said, but but carry on with what you're doing. And I had the same opportunity with, with um, years later with ron jones is it the last thing that i said to ron was he was at some kind of an award thing in seattle i don't know what the thing was but at the very end ron was in failing health and i walked over to ron and i'd waited my turn everybody else has left and we talked for a few minutes i remember i put my hands on his shoulder and, and i said ron i love you like a brother And he grabbed my hands as hard as he could and said, he looked at me and said, I love you too. Those were the last words he and I ever exchanged. And the life lesson, I think, is that you always want to go out on a good note, on a good note. And uh, so I was able to do that with Phil, who helped me a lot, and was able to, to do the same thing with
0: Ron. Man, I love hearing those stories from Bill as he shared some pretty personal accounts with some pretty notable people from around the sport of unlimited hydroplane racing. If you enjoyed those stories, he'll continue on as he talks about some more notable people from around the sport next week in Part 3 and the conclusion of my interview with Bill Osborne. Episode 98 will begin streaming at 5 a.m. on September 13th, next Tuesday. Don't forget to find us on social media. Like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And check us out online at roosterteltalk.com. There you can find a link to our donations tab where you can contribute and help us continue our success at the podcast in preserving stories from the history of the sport, as well as news and updates from H1 Unlimited. That's all I have for today. So until next week, I hope to see you at the races.